Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Red Sox Hot Stove edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We have Nick Face and Micah Storms with us for this episode. The news of the day, the Philadelphia Phillies have reached a seven-year $172 million deal to retain Aaron Nola, so he stays right in Philly. He was widely regarded to be the second best free agent pitcher on the market, so he comes off the board. And lots of implications uh, with that. So, Nick, Micah, how are you? Good, Terry. Um, Just that move with Dave Dombrowski. He's always right, ready at the wheel. That was one of the more predictable signings I think we probably could have said with Dombrowski narrowing down that guy that he wanted, his guy being Nola. And Nola even took less money to stay with the Phillies for loyalty and everything there. It says a lot about him as well. Um, good move for the Phillies. I'm, I, I never looked at him seriously as a Red Sox guy just, just because I, I had a feeling in me that Dombrowski was going to do whatever he could to get this guy to stay in Philly. Micah, how are you? I'm doing well, Terry. It was just nice to get that notification that somebody signed because it was just crickets for, what has it been, two weeks? Um, We've gotten basically nothing. So it was just nice to, to get something, and it's a major chip now off the table. And will it lead to more chips coming off the table soon, or will we kind of wait a little bit? I don't know. But um, at least the offseason, I feel like, officially started now that we've had, you know, one of the big names go off the board. Does either of your anxiety go up now with him being off the board or no? For me, no. I just didn't see him going anywhere, specifically on the Red Sox, to being on their radar. I'm still on the Yamamoto train. Sign me up. I'll be, that's when my blood pressure will rise if he's not there. (laughs) So I wouldn't say necessarily my anxiety goes up, but like Dave Dombrowski, in my opinion, he made a genius move because he set the market. You know, the market wasn't set and he goes out and he signs Nola, the first starting pitching um, free agent that was on the market. He, he, takes him and now the market is kind of set and i personally did not i wasn't sure if the phillies were going to go 150 plus million dollars for a pitcher um obviously they would have to try to replace nola but i didn't know if they would go that high with all the other big contracts they have on their team um but ownership clearly is willing to and they want to win but now that i think nola's off the board whoever does not win the Yamamoto sweepstakes, then I think it puts extra pressure to go get Montgomery, Snell, that next tier of pitchers. And there's going to be some teams who didn't get Nola and then didn't get Yamamoto. And I think they're going to show maybe a little desperation, kind of we have to get somebody. And I think the prices could be elevated. And that's kind of my fear is that if the Red Sox don't get Yamamoto, then – you know, what are the prices for the other guys? Um, And do the Red Sox have to overpay to get 
a starting pitcher or two because I really think they need two. But um, I, I really think after Yamamoto, I think the market could be a little inflated. I think with the Phillies uh, and Aaron Nola, I think there was mutual urgency there because if the Phillies lose out on Nola, you kind of have to go in big for Yamamoto if you want to come back in 2024 with with a robust starting pitching rotation to finally be able to compete for the division against the Atlanta Braves. So I think Dombrowski wanted to get it done. And I think Nola wanted to get it done. He turned down more money from the Atlanta Braves and the St. Louis Cardinals. The Braves made Aaron Nola their number one priority this winter. And Nola didn't seem interested prior to the season. I thought the offer was five years, hundred million by Dombrowski. Apparently it was six years, 150 million. Nola was asking for 210. So they met somewhere close to the middle, and I guess it was just good enough for Nola. What I like about Nola myself, I was kind of hoping the Red Sox would would potentially be in play for him as somewhat of a backup option to Yamamoto. He's pitched, I think, since 2017-2018. He's pitched... 180 innings or more in a few of those years actually exceeded 200 million, yeah, 200 million, <laughs> 200 million innings, 200 innings. Um, and, you know, it reminds me a lot of John Lester, who all but one or two years from 2007 forward pitched at least uh, 30 or more starts. John Lester was a horse and that's exactly what the Red Sox need here. They haven't gotten 200 innings from anybody except for maybe Pavetta, I think, has creeped close to that. And it's not always quality with him, unfortunately. But we need a horse. And Nola looks like that type of guy. So, you know, I think there was there was mutual urgency there. According to Alex Coffey of the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Phillies are actually going to be in the market for one more starting pitcher, and they're not ruling out Yamamoto. But it does go on to say uh, in the article that there is a limit. Like, they're not going to... It sounds like they're not going to try to win a bidding war. They're only going to pay a number that makes sense to them. But here's here's the other bad news, Okay. The following teams need not just one starting pitcher, but probably two. And I'll I'll go through them right now. The Atlanta Braves, the St. Louis Cardinals, the New York Mets, the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, the San Francisco Giants, Minnesota Twins, Detroit Tigers, Texas Rangers, Anaheim Angels, Chicago Cubs, and the New York Yankees. They all need at least two starters just like we do just like we do. So that's why my anxiety is high here. And Boston hasn't been a very free agent friendly market. I mean, everybody chooses to go elsewhere. Nobody's picking us. And I don't know. I don't know if firing Bloom and hiring Craig Breslow is enough to change the image like I think the Red Sox have a long way to go 
So I just, if we don't come out of this with Yamamoto or Nola, and we know we're not getting Nola, I don't know that it was a real successful winter. I think, you know, at the start of today, before all the news broke, you had to come away with one of those two. If you're if you're really serious about 2024, I think that one of the points that you said at the beginning with the um, the information about Red Sox having to pay, and I strongly feel that the first move Breslow's going to have to make is going to have to be an overpay because we've seen that this whole song and dance with free agency pitchers and Red Sox really not on some capacities being a destination team that some players want to come to. So I do think that players, if they are going to come to Boston, it's going to need to be forking over some extra millions to get that player to be here. Case in point, Yamamoto. I think you got to give him the bag. And I think it's going to make some fans out there very uncomfortable I just want to make sure fans remember this statement that I say. It is not our money. It is John Henry's. If John Henry wants to go and spend three, four hundred million dollars on a player, that's his problem. We just as fans have to sit there and watch these players hopefully earn those three hundred to four hundred million dollar contracts. It hasn't happened here in Boston really since Manny Ramirez. That's the best contract that was out there for what you got for the price his deal was. Every other deal you can look at, you could raise an eyebrow from and say, was it really worth it on some occasions? So that's going to be at least how I'm progressing here as free agency goes in is it's not my money. If it's the money that they're going to throw at these players to get them here and they succeed, I think we'll all be happy as a clam, but we have to see what happens here. And I think it's going to need to be an overpay to get what you want right now on this team to improve. I think there's a difference though, between having to overpay for Yamamoto and having to pay overpay for a Blake Snell or a Montgomery. Like if you overpay for Yamamoto, like, it could be with the idea that the ceiling is multiple Cy Youngs. He's 25 years old. Like the the ceiling for him is way higher than any of the other available starting pitchers. So overpaying for him makes a lot of more sense than overpaying for some of the other free agents. Um, Nick, I do agree with you that I <clears throat> they're going to have to probably overpay for a, a starting pitcher. I don't necessarily see them overpaying for two starting pitchers. I think they might do it for one, but I just don't know if they're going to do it for, for two. So I, I think the way I'm kind of shifting now that Noel is off the board is overpaying for one free agent starting pitcher and then having to pivot and make a, a, a splash in the trade market for a starting pitcher because the Red Sox need two pitchers added to that rotation. And it can't be you know back of the rotation arms. They need – really an ace and they need a number two at the very least a number three um, caliber pitcher. And you have to do that then at the trade market. So it really comes down to, you know, again, how much Henry wants to spend. And then if, if Breslow realizes that, you know, he only has this much money to work with, 
then he's going to have to go and spend some of that prospect capital that he he did talk about in the press conference. And, you know, with, with Terry saying all the teams that don't just need one pitcher, but they really could use two, I just don't know if I can see the Red Sox winning two big negotiations with starting pitchers. I could see one, but two just seems like a really big ask for a guy who's never done this before. Um, if he pulls it off, I, mean, I think he's going to win a lot of uh, a lot of fans out there. But I, at the moment, we have to wait and see. And I, I would bet against him bringing two starters um, to the Red Sox, especially if Yamamoto is not one of them. Here's something scary uh, right now, and uh, it, it's basically the Dodgers' depth chart for their starters. They've got Walker Bueller. I don't know if he's going to be ready right out of spring training, but he should be back with them in the first half of the year from his Tommy John. But after Bueller, you've got Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, Emmett Sheehan, and Gavin Stone. That's a team that's looking to load up. And everybody complained about their inaction last winter. And the theory was, was that they were focused on this coming winter, coming into 2024. So here's my question to you guys. And you know the Mets are going to go hardcore. Brian Cashman is the most desperate GM right now in Major League Baseball who needs to flip the narrative on how he's viewed with his fan base. There's no other GM that's that's going to be more desperate than him. But let me ask you this. What if it trends to Garrett Cole-type money, with or without the posting fee, and Garrett Cole got nine years, $324 million. If it trends up that high, do you still give that to a 25-year-old Yamamoto? I'll I'll say no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not doing this because, again, not my money. It's John Henry's. I'm thinking more about how does this impact the team in other facets. If you lock it in on one arm, throw the bank, say it's $400-plus million, that does not help solve your other issues you have on this team. It doesn't solve the fact that you need another starter. It doesn't solve the fact that your outfield right now kind of still is a question mark with being too left-handed heavy. Who's going to replace a Justin Turner? What's happening with your catchers? It's not enough. So this is where I'm I'm hopeful with Breslow being able to have a smart and intelligent background that he can map out a team that helps to benefit on many different aspects of just solidifying that one glaring need. And we know it's a glaring need of that starting pitcher ace, but don't, don't handicap the team by doing something that's going to set them back another four or five years. And us repeating this damn cycle that we're all super annoyed and done with. I lean on the other side of the fence. Uh, if it's Garrett Cole type money and we're talking 300, um, I'm all on board with that. I, I think you do it because the this is almost an anomaly of a situation where you have a 25-year-old starting pitcher hitting the free agent market. And we know the Red Sox have really struggled 
to develop their own starters. They haven't developed anybody that has been close to an ace. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a huge Brian Bayo fan. I, I don't personally see him becoming an ace. I see him more as a number two type ceiling. But I, I just – this is an opportunity to lock up the, the front of your rotation for the next half decade – with, you know where we could probably assume he's going to be at the top of his game as long as he's healthy. I mean, there are question marks because he's never pitched in professional baseball here in America, but I think you have to take the chance. Um, Chris Sale's contract is off the books next year, so that's a big contract that then you can use that money and say we're basically going to just shift it right over to Yamamoto, add you know seven eight million or, per year to that to Yamamoto. But like you have money coming off the books. And I, I personally think that the way the Red Sox are set up right now is if you go get Yamamoto, you don't have to necessarily go spend, you know, to go get like a Jordan Montgomery. Just go get a trade, go make a trade with a team and go get another starting pitcher. You know, there, there, there's people out there. Corbin Burns is out there. Now, the problem with Burns is he's a potential free agent after next year. So then you'd have to fork up another, you know, 200 plus million dollars probably. So you, you, they probably want to target somebody who has team control for at least two or three years. So you're not, you know, giving out another massive starting pitching contract right away along with Yamamoto. But if it's 300 million, Again, it's not my money. I don't see why the Red Sox can't be a big market. I don't understand. They they haven't they they haven't done it. They've let their their superstar talent just walk out for essentially nothing. And it's time to put the Red Sox back on the map. You cannot do you cannot get them back into the conversation for an American League East champion. You can't do that if you just get number twos or threes and fours. It does not work. You need an ace. And Yamamoto is, in my opinion, the only ace that is actually out on the market. Everyone else is a number two or worse, in my opinion. You have to be willing to go out and make the the, the gamble. Everything's a gamble, especially with starting pitchers. And in my opinion, there is no better gamble than Yamamoto. I agree with Micah. I would do it at all costs, literally at all costs. Your only long-term money after this season is Rafi Devers at roughly 30 a year. I don't have his exact numbers up. It might be 32, but not a, not a huge difference there. You're going to have four more uh, after this year. Excuse me. You're going to have three more years of Masataki Yoshida at 18 million. Uh, and then after this year, Trevor Story, three more years at $22 million a year, roughly. So we're not saddled down with these massive contracts. I think we could all agree we, we wish Story and Yoshida were performing more to the level of those numbers, but these aren't super long-term deals. This isn't nine years remaining of Mookie Betts. It's not nine years remaining of Trey Turner. So... These are these are serviceable contracts that that we can live with. Um, you know, sale comes off the books this year. So does Kenley Jansen. Um, so uh, to me, you have to you have to go after Yamamoto at all costs. I mean, he's been the best pitcher in Japan. I mean, he's won 
their the equivalence of their Cy Young award three times, and he's been healthy. So it, it's definitely a chance that that I'm willing to take uh, for sure. And I spoke earlier about improving your image as an organization to to be a you know more appealable to other free agents. Bringing in a guy like Yamamoto is one big step towards that. Two other big steps towards that are more minor moves. Give Tristan Casas an extension. Give Brian Bayo an extension. You know, send the signal out there that we're we're not only willing to invest in those free agents, but we're willing to invest, you know, from homegrown players, something we haven't done in quite a while. I think those are just a few minor moves that could go a long way uh, with improving our image. And I, I think that's paramount. It, how brutal would it be to hear that we were the runner up for Jordan Montgomery or a Blake Snell type guy because they just didn't prefer us that I think that would be brutal. Yeah, it would it would really feel like the last couple of off seasons. It would just be kind of like different terminology where, you know, before it was with Heimblum, it was the Red Sox just they were they were checking in or they were interested. Um, but then I the Red Sox could really be interested, but just players aren't interested because of what's been done over the last couple of years and just falling falling short on those negotiations would be really frustrating and I don't know what the Red Sox would do if they do not get one of the big free agent starters. Like if they, if they walk away with this, you know, empty handed, I have no idea what the the path forward would be to fix that rotation. You know, you would necessarily, you would have to trade a lot of your prospect capital to fix those problems because the holes are just so glaring. I want to say in my head right now, my want, of course, is Yamamoto. But the problem that I'm having just in my head with the mindset of how the Red Sox have been for the last two, three seasons is that, much like you said, Terry, the runner-up, oh, they were interested, but they just missed out. I already am getting myself into the habit of just saying it's going to be not the sloppy second, but the runner-up candidate coming in, a Blake Snell, a Sonny Gray, and Eduardo Rodriguez. In a way, I'm already getting myself at that disappointment stage, and I don't want to get like that. I'd rather be more on that optimistic side of things. But I keep thinking about Craig Breslow coming in here and what he was you know a member of that 2013 team and all and that 2013 Red Sox team i mean they were a bunch of journeymen's they caught lightning in a bottle and i am really hoping that John Henry is not like we're going to build this team just like the 2013 team bunch of Shane Victorinos Johnny Gomes those types of players that can come in and yeah they got lucky were they the most talented team on the earth no they had David Ortiz to help them from that. Red Sox would love a David Ortiz type from that right now. But we need to see something here from Breslow to build some sort of a repertoire on what he is going to do. 
is if Breslow is going to be in charge, I want him to be calling the shots, not John Henry telling Heim Bloom again, oh, you're not going to do this. You're not going to spend my money. You're not going to build the team with Breslow, develop it, give him what he needs to succeed. Well, something to consider here. I've seen multiple times in the last 72 hours, uh, whether I heard it on a podcast or I read it in print somewhere, that John Henry, his biggest bugaboo throughout his entire ownership tenure is that he doesn't like signing pitchers that are 30 or older. And Yamamoto is 25 presently. I don't know when he turns 26, but... That's another reason I'm willing to go hard on this guy for eight, nine years. I, 10 years makes me a little uncomfortable, but if that's what gets it done, uh, okay, I'm going to do it. If he has Tommy John on the back end of that, the the one thing I'm, I'm clinging to in terms of hope is that we'll finally have developed some guys so that, you know, if, if you lose a guy... I mean, the, the Rangers lost Jake DeGrom this year to Tommy John and and did it matter? I'm hoping to get ourselves into a situation like that. Here's something else to consider. I, I've pointed out several times recently, you know, we have a great record when it comes to Japanese pitchers. You know, Hideki Okajima, Janichi Tozawa, uh, Koji Uehara were all great relievers integral parts of of the bullpens that we had en route to three different championships. Dice K Matsuzaka, you can say what you want, you know, whether it worked out or whether it didn't. He was very serviceable in 2007. Um still gave that rotation a lot of stability, you know, behind Beckett and Schilling. And then in, in 2008, you know, I mean that was a team that just missed you know, that had championship written all over it, but we lost game seven to the Rays, who were a wagon due to their young pitching that they had. James Shields, Matt Garza, David Price, you know, were all big pieces of that 2008 team. But we do, a, a good selling point to, to Yamamoto is our record with Japanese pitchers. What other team in Major League Baseball has as rich of a history as the Boston Red Sox do with Japanese pitchers. I don't think anyone comes close. Who comes close? Nobody. You know, the only other one I would think would be the Dodgers with Hideo Nomo, but we even had a piece of Hideo Nomo with the no-hitter. That's it. Maybe the Yankees, you can say it with uh, Tanaka. No champ. Hideki Arabu. No championship. No yeah, absolutely. So we have the richest history of it, you know, and I hope they sell hard on that. You know, just to give some perspective about Yamamoto's age, he's going to be pitching in his age 25 season. So he is he just turned 25 like a month ago. Okay. If the Red Sox signed him to a nine-year deal, he would be 34 years old. Jacob deGrom just signed a five-year, $185 million deal with major health concerns at the age of 34. And it's like the Red Sox could get all of those years and someone, depending on obviously how his career goes, but he could get another contract after that nine years. That's how young he is. And it's like that, that to me, this is so rare 
that you get a 25 year old, like the best case scenario is usually 27, 28 by the time they hit free agency and he's 25. So I just, this is, they should be going all out for him because it's probably another Japanese pitcher where this would happen because, you know, starting pitchers in, in America, they don't come up when they're 20 years old. The very rarely do they do that. And if they do, the team usually extends them like Kershaw was when he was with the Dodgers. But usually they come up when they're 22, 23, 24. And then by the time their service time is up, they're 28, 29, 30 years old. So I understand the the hesitant nature of Henry with aging pitchers. I think sometimes he's really just messed it up because – you know, the John Lester deal, I really believe, did not happen because of his age. I think Henry didn't want to commit that much. But you can't make that argument with Yamamoto. He is so young compared to every other starting pitcher the Red Sox have committed money to. And I just, it, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I just, I would hate to see them not be willing to go all out. You kind of just had a good segue. When you say once in a lifetime, because I'm thinking in my head, when was the last big acquisition of this magnitude? And for me, it has to be Pedro. And that was via a trade. So it's a slightly different path. But who else was bigger? I mean, the Beckett trade was cool. The Schilling trade obviously played paid dividends. I mean, you got two championships out of him. But... Man, I just in terms of impact, I don't think there there is a bigger acquisition since Pedro Martinez. Uh, you know, if you were to land Yamamoto, I think Chris I Sale put, was up there. Yeah, sorry, Sale Nick, was, I, did, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, you, you know, I like I like your Sale one. I was gonna say what really kind of turned the franchise around to becoming the winner was Manny. That, that I mean, everybody was like, what? Look at this contract. This is insane. I can't believe Dan Duquette did this. It's the best contract that, that it might even have been the best contract ever in baseball for the length and the amount of money that you got every piece of it from. J.D. Martinez, I think, would be a low-key uh, comp yep. at, at 110 over five years. But... Um, yeah, fair enough with Chris Sale. I mean, it instantly changed the narrative. We just got, you know, we got swept by Cleveland in, in 2016 and you needed to make a splash and and that was it. Um, you know, it's too bad it didn't age better. But um, but yeah, at the time it, it was huge. And um, here's another thing, too. Historically, I hate opt-outs. If Rafi Devers got an opt-out, it would have ruined my day. It would have ruined my narrative on that extension. If it happens with Yamamoto, I'm all good with it. As long as we get at least four or five years of him. If 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 putting an opt-out in that deal gets it done, I'm willing to do it. I also think that this deal could go over 10 years. I know you guys kept saying 10 years on some of it. I could see this going into the 12s just because how young he is and everything too. Then it gets into uh interesting territory. What's the longest length contract the Red Sox have given out? Was it eight years? Is that, is that like going back to Manny again, right? No, well, Devers just got 11, so. Oh, that's right. Devers, be before Devers, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, probably eight years. They, Crawford got seven. Um, Gonzalez got seven. They didn't stay for the life of them. But um, trying to think. Uh, well, yeah, Pedroia got, I think, an eight-year extension, something like that. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't really see it getting in the north of 10. I, I think 10 would be the top of the mark. But but I'm telling you right now, my anxiety level went way up when when the NOLA deal went down because you don't we don't know what y Yamamoto wants. We, we don't know if it's a certain market, um, a certain price point it's um it's my my anxiety is up for sure if we come out of this with jordan montgomery and eduardo rodriguez oh man we we botched it yeah i don't want that i i i, I really do want jordan montgomery i think he is is a pitcher that could really help the red Sox. i think he's going to age well I would love a five-year deal max for Jordan Montgomery. It might take more to get him, but I think he is a perfect pitcher um, to pitch in Fenway Park and against the American League East. I, I just I'm all bo on board with Montgomery. My dream would be Yamamoto and Montgomery, and then like if the Red Sox were to do that, they could sign whoever to play second base. Like I wouldn't care because I I'm all on board with them trying to fix the starting pitching issue because for the most part, I, I really do believe the Red Sox offense, they're going to hit and they're going to score runs. I, I think the offense is only going to get better as the young players start to get more comfortable in, in the big leagues. And I just, I want to see them fix the pitching because there's nothing more frustrating than watching the Red Sox play. And I couldn't even imagine from a player's perspective, but just being down three, four, five runs before the fifth inning. And it just felt like over the last couple of years, that's happened way too much. And it's because of the poor starting pitching. And th there are guys out there in this year's free agent market that can really fill the holes that the Red Sox have the pocketbook just has to be opened up and I'm, I'm really hoping that happens. I'm hoping trades happen because when was the last time the Red Sox traded for a starting pitcher? Was it, was it Drew Pomerantz? Was that the last one? Oh boy. Um, well, the bloom era featured no trades for starters or at least not higher end ones. Was it Eovaldi? Was he after Pomeranz? He was, yeah, because that was 2018. Yeah. Pomeranz was 16. Um, so that would probably be it. We basically we stood pat in 2019 at the deadline. So, yeah. That's, that, that's five years of just adding no starting pitching. And then you, you combine that with not zero development because Bayo is definitely in that category, but very little starting pitching development. And it's like, well, how do you expect to compete if you are ownership and a front office? Like you, you don't add starting pitching via the free agency. Their biggest contract that bloom ever gave out was Corey Kluber and you don't make trades. So I just, John Henry has to decide, do I actually want to win? Because he hasn't, if you just spit those facts out it's almost embarrassing the effort to get better when starting pitching is so important in the game of baseball because there's been absolutely no effort to get better based on those moves.
That's an excellent you, point. Or go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, are you guys in the camp where I'm kind of done on these reclamation projects? It's been this way for three, four years of the Corey Kluber types. And Garrett, uh, what's his name? Garrett Richards. You took a chance on Waka. I'll give them that from 2021. But I'm just kind of sick and tired of this. Oh, let's hope. Let's get lightning in a bottle. Let's. This guy's going to be fine. We'll fix him. Maybe Andrew Bailey can do something like that as a new pitching coach and all. But I'm kind of sick and tired of that song and dance right now. Yeah, I mean, most of the guys Bloom brought in, their careers essentially ended here. Garrett Richards, I think, went to Texas for one more year. Uh, Martin Perez is barely hanging on, but hasn't done much since leaving here. Uh, Corey Kluber's career, as far as I'm concerned, is over. He might get one last chance this year. But so so Bloom just was at the absolute bottom of the barrel. Like he needed to give these guys CPR to get them through one more year. And it just it didn't work out. So that's not going to work. But. When you talk about trades, I'm possibly open to it, but I just gave you a list of, let's see, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams that need two starting pitchers. I mean, who has the depth? I don't think the Marlins are going to, with Alcantara or Alcantara going down with Tommy John, I don't know that they're definitely going to move a guy. I think they're going to want to continue their upward trajectory, so... That's not a team I don't think we can turn to. Um, It remains to be seen what the Padres are going to do because they did say they want to shed some payroll um, and their owner just died. So I don't who knows what the direction of their team is. But could you pluck a guy like Darvish for the one or two years he has left? I think he's age 37, 38. Yeah, not not sexy, but. Darvish just signed an extension last year. I think he's oh, got he? like four or five years okay. on a deal. Like it, it was almost a, a laughable extension. But okay. oh, man, if you say Darvish, my stomach like turns in knots. I just, oh, I don't think I could deal with him at, in his upper 30s pitching for the Red Sox. I just so. Oh. Uh, but that's what I'm getting at here. So. I just don't know who really has the depth. You're going to hear about two names all winter until they get traded. One is Dylan Cease. The other is Corbin Burns. I'd probably rather trade for Cease. I mean, Burns' is, uh, strikeout per nine is dropping year after year. That's not necessarily a panic situation, but but who knows what his age 34, 35 season is going to be with, with that number slipping. Dylan Cease is only... 27 years old so if you can get an extension in place maybe that one's a little bit more palatable probably going to cost you a lot though and the Dodgers apparently are in talks right now to acquire him and and they have a lot more depth than we do so I just don't know that we're going to be able to turn the tide when it comes to trades at least for upper rotation guys I want to ask Nick a question, though. So you said you're sick and tired of reclamation projects, and I I can't say I disagree with you, but Mm -hmm. would you feel very differently if the reclamation project wasn't supposed to be the number one pitching signing 
that the Red Sox had in the offseason. Like if they go out and sign a Yamamoto, they make a trade for a starting pitcher or they bring another one in and then they add a reclamation project, I think you would feel very differently because there wouldn't be so much pressure on that guy to actually turn it around and revive his career. If he flops, you're like, well, we had Yamamoto, we had this guy. Like it's just with with under Bloom, it was, well, this is our big addition. And you know, reclamation project should never be the big addition to a team. It's a minor move, but for whatever reason, the last couple of years, it's been used as the move. And I think that's what's driving fans away from the reclamation project idea. I think a lot of it, and that's a great question, Micah, that you came up with, because yes, I would feel a lot differently if the depth moves were a four or five piece or somebody that is, trying to re, re, get into maybe long relief or something like that. I think it's amazing, though, how much Chris Sale has hurt these other reclamation-style projects getting signed from everything because we have heard the same thing for the past four of these off-seasons. Don't worry. Chris Sale will be here. He's in spring training. We're counting on him. That's our ace. I think that right there is why fans have had an absolute enough of this crap with this. Oh, let's get one year out of Michael Walker. Oh, let's get one year out of Kluber. One year out of Garrett Richards. One year from Martin Perez. They'll be fine. They'll, these little cast-offs, we'll just slot them in there. They'll be okay. And then they end up having to turn into a two or a three, and then you're completely screwed. You're screwed. Because they're not going to do the job. They're going to get hurt. And then you have to go into your depth of your AAA. And what we saw from the past couple seasons is all they are is an arm. I mean, the amount of call-ups that we saw, some half decent. But for the majority of them, they'll probably never catch another glimpse of Major League Baseball in their career. Or they'll be jumping around from team to team. So if we get that Yamamoto, we get that Blake Snell or something like that that slots into that rotation and then you take a gamble on a one-year something deal of somebody who just is trying to get their career back in. I'm okay with that. Well, we got to address the top end of the rotation first, so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with that and hopefully we get some surprise news. I think he's supposed to be posted this week, Yamamoto. So you look at Yoshida, obviously different animal, but he was he was signed like in hours, uh, you know, when he was posted. Bloom went, he doubled the whatever the other offer was, and just to get it done. So, um, hopefully, hopefully we'll get some news, and I hope it's fast. I, I hope it's fast, and I hope we get him. But it's it's hard to tell, you know, how he feels about Boston and you know they they all have their biases on, on what they want. So go ahead, Micah. So with the posting fee, because I, I feel like this is how it worked with um Yoshida, the Red Sox won't know necessarily what the other teams are willing to post for um Yamamoto services, correct? Like they don't know what the Dodgers are going to give the team for the posting fee before they have the ability to negotiate. Correct. Is that, that's how it works. Honestly, I'm not sure. Um, 
I think Dice K got, we paid like a hundred for him, but then there was a posting fee of like 50 million. It was, it was up there. <laughs> so I don't know. Because I, I think with Yoshida, they were surprised that the Red Sox went as high as they did because the other bids were not nearly that high. And then that made me think like, well, then the Red Sox must have not known what the other teams were willing to pay because they went way above everybody else. That's That was my perspective on it. But I, I don't know the, the, the full posting system, um, the rules on all that. Okay. I'm, I'm literally reading this as I go. <laughs> Under this system, when an NPB player is posted, and I think the MP, NPB is like the major leagues of Japan, uh, mm. his team notifies the commissioner with the, the posting fee based on the type of contract a player signs and its value. The fee is a flat 25% of a minor league contract for MLB contracts. I wasn't expecting that to say minor league. Yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> um, there is a there is a system on it if you want to look it up, but I don't want to. It, it looks like it's very complex and very situational, so I don't want to. I think I I'm wanna, reading. The same article that you were, where it's saying the first of the fee, it's twenty percent of the first twenty-five million, and then it's seventeen point five percent of the next twenty-five million, fifteen percent of of any amount above fifty million. So it's like a three-tier system, looking at what their process is. I just remember with Dice K from it was one hundred and three mil, but they also had the fifty million to sign him at the time too. So we were right in range with that, right around that 150, 140 million to get Daisuke to come here to Boston to be a player. Okay, yeah, you um, you read a different article than I did. Um, so I guess it just it just needs to meet a, a certain criteria, and I don't see why it won't if we're talking north of of two hundred million. So. It's going to be expensive, and I don't think, regardless, I, I don't think it's going to be a factor here. I just think whatever team is willing to pay the price is, is going to do it. I wonder if the posting fee counts towards the luxury tax. This is bad radio. We're doing research I, I don't on the think it, I don't think yeah. it does count towards the luxury tax. I think it'll just be... Um, the, the actual contract to the player is because with the Yoshida, it was just he he cost whatever his AAV was. That was the you know, that was what the Red Sox were counted towards the luxury tax. It wasn't what they, they had to pay the team over in, in Japan. OK. And nothing's popping up. So that's probably uh, correct. So and Yamamoto gets posted tomorrow. Tomorrow. OK. Yes. So I wonder what time zone that applies to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. They're on the other side of the world. So, um, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap? Nothing? All right. I, I do you... think uh, Yamamoto will get – I think a deal will get done before the winter meetings. I think uh, may, maybe no other deal will get done in terms of pitching, but I, I think – 
the Yamamoto deal gets done and then the winter meetings is where all the other chips may fall. But I, I don't think we're going to have to wait until the first full week of December to see where, um, where he ends up. Well, the winter meetings start two weeks from Monday, essentially. And as I said in the, one of the last shows, the, the action typically isn't until the second to last or the final day, you know, because they're feeling each other out in the early part of it. So, um, yeah, so there's two weeks. I think the next 24 hours to 48 hours will be key. I mean, if one or two more upper to mid-level starters come off the board, I, I think it could be a frenzy. It just, you just never know, you know, as soon as one team blinks and the Phillies did, uh, that's, that might be all it takes. So we will wrap on that. Tentatively, we will be back on Tuesday morning with part four of the MLB trade rumors uh, list that we've been working off of that covers all the major free agents and uh, that's going to be the 11th through 20th rank. So we're getting close to the top of the list where all the, you know, coveted players are. So that tentatively will be out on Tuesday. And then finally, um, the top 10 will be out on Thursday. But this is all contingent on nothing major happening. If anything major happens, those get pushed back and we'll be here to record um, whatever does happen to develop. So at the start of today, we thought we were going to be doing part four of that list. Then the NOLA thing went down. So that's why we covered that. So um, that's the one weird thing about November and December. It just, it's touch and go and uh, expect the unexpected uh, across the league and uh, so on and so forth. So everybody enjoy your week. It's a holiday week. So you're probably only working uh, two or three days. So Enjoy it, be safe, and take care.